Well, ours is March 2nd and 3rd, and you can sign up at the back table uh, back there. If you stand with me and grab your Bibles for our scripture reading this morning and turn to Romans chapter 10. So we will uh, be reading a few verses out of Romans chapter 10 for our text this morning. Romans chapter 10, verses 12 through 17, as Pastor Chris preaches this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is a pew Bible in front of you. You can find uh, this text on page 653. Once again, please follow along as I read Romans chapter 10, verses 12 through 17. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the people that you've sent in our lives to, to bring the word to us. And uh, we ask that you would be with Pastor Chris this morning as he, as he opens your word, that we would examine our hearts and lives to, uh, to just uh, be transformed uh, by the teaching and by the, the text of the scripture this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I asked Zach to do the reading, and he said, well, I don't know, I'm feeling kind of bad. And then he texted me last night and said, well, I'll be there. I don't know if they'll hear me. And I said, well, that makes two of us, because so it's, it's been hard. It's been hard for my wife and I. We just have this cold that will not go away. But I am excited about being here this morning, and I'm glad you are here. We're addressing the question, what about those who have never heard? What about those who have never heard the gospel? What is their destiny? What is their eternity like? This is a question that everyone eventually asks. Everyone eventually will ask this question, and eventually, as a believer, you will encounter this question. And so I hope by the end of today, you will have a, a, a good overview and a good ability to tackle this question. And here's kind of how it lays out. Will billions of people who can respond but never hear the gospel ever be saved. So what we're talking about this morning is not about babies who cannot hear the, hear the gospel and understand it and respond. We're not talking about the, the mentally impaired. We're not talking about those exceptions that prove the rule. We're talking about the billions of people who are all over this planet who will never hear the saving message of Jesus Christ. What about those who have never heard? Is the spirituality and sincere worship of people in other religions sufficient to save them? And really it comes down to this. Is salvation possible without, without hearing and responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ before death comes? And surely death will come. So, is it possible without? Now, we're in between sermon series, which is kind of an unusual opportunity for me to speak. Pastor Bruce is on vacation. And so this is a standalone message that comes at a good time. 
Right after finishing speaking here, I'm going to be traveling to Lawrence, Kansas to do a two-hour teaching on the Perspectives course that we will host here Monday night, and I'll teach there and then again in Overland Park. And so here, this is what, we, what I'll be teaching on here for the next three days. And I figured, look, if it's good enough to travel, I guess now in snow, uh, over to Kansas, to Jayhawk country, it's good enough for us to hear here in Missouri. Uh, we just presented our 2018 missions budget uh, last week. This week, those of you who made faith promise commitments will get your faith com promise commitment reminder, your prayer card, back in the mail. And we're asking God to increase our missions giving. And we're asking by faith, we're asking God to do something special because we know God has things for this church to do in reaching the unreached. And so we're asking God to increase that by $5,000. But this isn't a message about giving. The bottom line is this. How we individually and corporately as a church answer this question has practical implications for our giving, for our loving, for our witnessing, and for everything we do with missions, but it has eternal consequences for those who have never heard. Now, sadly, many evangelical and conservative pastors and churches are departing from the biblical truth, the biblical answers to questions like these. And there are consequences when churches and pastors and individuals depart from a biblical answer to this question, there are real-time practical consequences. Uh, there's a church that's right here in our area who is doing this very thing. Their pastor is leading them into what we'll see, universalism. And it's impacting. It's impacting their church. It impacts how they share the gospel. It impacts what gospel they share. And it impacts how they do missions. And so what we're talking about is not an academic question. It's not a philosophical question. It is a Bible question with a Bible answer that has real implication. Now, if you've been a part of our class, the New Life class that meets in the Discovery Hour, we've covered a lot of this in depth. But we as a congregation need to hear this and have a united answer to the question, what about those who have never heard. And in that answer, we need to let it impact the practical ways we view people. Not only the people we encounter here in Kansas City, which the nations, the people groups of the world are here, but also how we pray, how we give, how we send, how we support missionaries to the peoples of the world. So let's tackle this. There's four basic general answers. Okay, this is going to be an overview. I can't answer everything. I can't chase down every detail. But there's four general answers to the question. What about those who never heard? The first answer is this. It's called universalism. Universalism. And here's what it says. What about those who have never heard? Universalism says everyone, everywhere, will be saved eventually. Everyone, everywhere, will be saved eventually. Now, what does universalism typically teach? Now, I'm going to spend a little more time on this one because all the other answers except the last one is rooted in the same kind of thinking. So what does universalism 
typically teach? It teaches this, God is love. That is the basis. That is the basis of everything. God is love. Therefore, sending anyone to hell is inconsistent with his character. God is love. He wouldn't do that to people. God is love. He wouldn't let people suffer eternally in conscious torment of his wrath for all of eternity. God is love. And indeed, 1 John 4, 8, if you know your Bibles, indeed says, God is love. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. But the Bible teaches more than just God is love. Number one, the Bible teaches God is also light. He is light. He is truth. Love is not the supreme attribute of God. Listen to 1 John 1.5. It's very interesting. 1 John 4 says God is love. But before John ever said God is love, the first thing he said was God is light. Listen to 1 John 1.5. This is the message. We have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is light, and he cannot tolerate darkness, the darkness of sin. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. Notice, to have fellowship with the God who is light, we must be light, and in us there must be no darkness. There's no mention there of love. That's not the basis. Now, don't, don't, don't miss what I'm saying. God is love, but that is only part of who He is. And to be sure, God is love is a huge part. How many are thankful that we know the God who exists is loving, compassionate, merciful? And so we don't diminish the love of God, but that is not His ultimate character quality. For number two, God's ultimate character quality is holiness. His ultimate character quality, that attribute of God that encompasses all that He is, is the word holy. Now it's interesting, we have some very interesting visions and revelations and prophetic uh, utterances that tell us what's going on in heaven every moment of every day from all of eternity, past, present, and future. And one of those is Isaiah 6, where the prophet Isaiah was taken in a vision and he enters the throne room of God and, and the curtain is, is pulled back, so to speak, there in the throne room. And we see what worship is like. We, we hear, we see we experience in Isaiah 6 what it is like. And as Isaiah enters that, there are angelic beings surrounding the throne of God because the central focus of heaven and all of eternity is God Himself. And as they gather around Him, you hear them shouting one word over and over and over. Love! 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 Now, if you know your Bible, you should stand up right now and say, heresy, 
That's not biblical. No, they're not shouting that. What are they shouting? Holy, holy, holy. And what's fascinating about that passage, that uh, Isaiah just didn't get in on a particularly good worship service, right? You know, that, oh, hey, today was the holy day. Tomorrow will be something else. No, we go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and the Apostle John is taken to heaven as well and sees a vision. And guess what they're still saying thousands of years after Isaiah? And by the way, here's what they're saying. Holy, holy, holy. And I can guarantee you right now, if we were transported to heaven, that is exactly what you would hear. Holy, 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 because that is the supreme character quality of God. And in that, holiness means God is utterly unique. He, we wouldn't come up with God. Man cannot come up with God. Man comes up with ideas that God is just love. But God is the one that reveals, no, I am holy. I am unique. I am like no other. I am second to none. And he is holy in his love. His love is unique. But he's also holy in his justice. His justice is unique. He is holy in his mercy. No one shows mercy like our God, yet he is holy in his wrath. No one administers wrath like our holy God. You see, here's the point. Reducing God's glorious character down to one attribute that we prefer and we find warm and cuddly is not only unwise, it is unbiblical. Our God is not just love. He is that. But He is mercy and wrath. He is compassion and condemnation. He is all of those things, and He is holy in those things. Now, another thing that universalism teaches is this. Jesus died for the sins of all people, and you would say, yeah, that's true. There's many verses in the Bible. Jesus died for the sins of all people. Therefore, His sacrifice for sin will be applied to all people. Since Jesus died for all people, His sacrifice will be applied to all people so that everyone, everywhere, will be saved. Now again, there is half-truth. This is what you have to understand about all false teaching. It takes a truth, and then it adds some falsehood in it. It takes a truth, and it twists it just a little bit. Look at 1 John 2.2. In 1 John 2.2 it says this, and he himself, referring to Christ, is the propitiation, the satisfaction, the wrath-satisfying sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And so a universalist will take that passage and they will often say, See, Christ died for the sins of not just, uh, of not just believers, but for the whole world. Therefore, the whole world will eventually be saved. But here's the key. Just because Jesus died for the sins of the world does not mean his sacrifice will be applied to everyone. So his sacrifice for sin out of his love, but also out of his justice, 
His sacrifice for sin is sufficient for everyone, but it's only applied to those who hear about it and receive the gift with the hand of faith. So notice, the Bible teaches that salvation is received by faith alone in Christ alone. You see, what God has done is sufficient for all peoples. We have a message of good news for every person we meet, no matter how, how down they are, no matter what their past is. We have a message for everyone because the sacrifice is sufficient for all. But when we present that, we have to say, it's a gift and God is offering it, and I am his ambassador, I am his representative, I offer his gift to you, but you have to take it, and you have to take it by faith. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. Here's the reality of how one receives the sacrifice that's sufficient for everyone. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now, apart from the law, apart from us having to be good, apart from us having to obey the rules perfectly, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through what? Through faith in Jesus Christ. For all those who do what? Believe. For there is no distinction. You see, <coughs> everyone, everywhere, there's no distinction. Whoever hears this message and places their faith and believes, they will be saved. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift, as a gift, as a gift, by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus through what? Through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, and don't miss this, so that He would be just and justifier of the one who has what? Faith in Jesus. In fact, if you would look... At Romans 3, 10 times he says, faith, believe, faith, faith, faith. Yes, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross is sufficient for everyone who has ever been born, has, is living right now, and ever will be born. It is sufficient for every sinner. But it is not, and it will not be applied to all people. Salvation is a gift, and you have to reach out with the hand of faith empty of all your efforts, empty of all your claims, empty of any thinking that you have God, that He owes you, that He's in debt to us, that we somehow deserve. And we come empty-handed and say, I receive this gift. And to receive that gift, though, you need to know it exists. You've got to hear about it. You've got to hear about it and then receive it. Now there's a third thing that universalism teaches, and this one pulls at the emotional heartstrings, and it's this. Heaven cannot be heaven as long as there's a hell. Heaven cannot be heaven 
as long as there is a hell. Now this makes sense at first, doesn't it? Anybody that has a heart is going to think, wow, how can I enjoy eternity in heaven when I know some very dear, beloved people are forever consciously suffering in hell? And for human thinking, if you leave it there, you'll say, well, wait a minute. Heaven can't be heaven as long as there. That does make sense. Everyone must be saved. Hell must be emptied. But beloved, we don't go by human reasoning. We don't go by our own emotions. We are people of the book who submit to the authority of Scripture. And the Bible teaches the very opposite, the very opposite of that kind of thinking. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. I promise you that when you take the world's thinking, you take what comes naturally to our thinking, you can almost, almost always turn it upside down, and God is thinking the opposite. So here's what, what a universalist would think. Heaven can't be heaven as long as there's a hell. People in heaven could never be happy as long as they know there's people in hell suffering. But here's what the Bible teaches. People in heaven are unfulfilled. They're unsatisfied until God's full justice has been carried out into eternity. The very opposite of that thinking. You say, but where is that in the Bible? Look at Revelation 6. Look at Revelation 6 and drop down to verse 9 and notice what it says. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal... I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. They, were, they are martyrs who, who gave their lives for the gospel, for the testimony of Jesus, and they are hidden under the altar of God. God takes special care of them, and because of the testimony they maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, Lord, holy and true? Notice, you're true and you're holy. How long, O oh Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? You see, they're not unhappy that there is a hell. They're unhappy that God in His holiness and truth is not executing justice. You see, when we flatten God out, and create him in our image and say, God is love. We just eliminate an attribute of God that every person, unbelieving, believing, I don't care who you are on this planet, everybody wants to see justice. Now, granted, it's for you, not for me. Okay, we want justice for the other guy. What do we want for me? Mercy, 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 okay? Mercy for me, justice for them. But the reality is what we really want is both. We want justice, and that is right. Listen, people in heaven are not unhappy because there is a hell. They're, they're unfulfilled until God's wrath will be poured out and justice will take place. But also, notice this. Number two, people in heaven will not be sad because of who's not there, but they will be forever happy because of who is there. Listen, 
Heaven is heaven, not because of who's not there, but because of who is there. God's presence, dwelling with God's people in God's place. Turn to Revelation 21, just a few more. See, it helps when you read the end of the book, amen? Don't draw conclusions until you read the whole book. Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth and the first, the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy, notice it's not a loving city, it's a holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice, you notice there's a lot of yelling in heaven? Did you notice that? A lot of loud, a lot of, you know, a lot of loudness, okay, in heaven. Uh, there's a loud voice in heaven and uh, from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And how do we know there's not going to be unhappiness? And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And maybe the universalist says, yeah, of course, that's because God emptied hell. No, that's already taken place. Look at verse 5. And he who sits on the throne, behold, I am making all things new. Write these words. They are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the, and the end. But notice... Drop down, he, verse 7, He who overcomes will inherit these things. I will be his God. He will be my son. Again, what makes heaven heaven is who's there, God, and we are there with him. But look at verse 8. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murders and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. In other words, people just like us, right? Except they haven't accepted Christ. Their part will not be heaven. It will be the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So we're already happy in verses 1 through 4, and yet hell is still existing. So all I'm saying to you is that we will think like God thinks, and we will find our happiness in God, and we will rejoice in not only His mercy and His compassion, but His wrath and His justice as well. Now, there's different kinds of universalists. I do want you to be aware of that. There's at least four different kinds. So what happens often, because false teachers are deceivers, according to the Bible, you'll say, well, you're a universalist. I mean, what I hear you say, you're, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not a universalist. I'm a hopeful universalist. Well, sounds like you're still a universalist, okay? So here's what a hopeful Universal. A hopeful universalist or an agnostic universalist is someone who says, look, no one can know what's going to happen in the end. No one can know what God's going to do. So I, I'm not saying that everybody's going to be saved. I just hope so. Now that sounds very compassionate. It sounds very, I mean, it, it draws you in, right? I mean, because we don't, we don't, we don't uh, uh, rejoice. But listen, here's the thing. And I should have already said this. We are to weep over those that go to hell. But our weeping is in this life, not in the one to come. The time to weep 
over those that are headed to a Christless eternity is now. We need to join Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. We need to be like the Apostle Paul who wept great tears of prayers for his people. But the time to weep over the lost is now. Because in heaven, we won't be weeping. We'll be rejoicing and it will be too late. You see, really, this isn't about all these bad guys, the universalists. It's about our hearts. Because the sad thing about it is we're not weeping enough. We're not weeping enough. And so the hopeful, the hopeful universalist says, look, I, 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 I don't know what's going to happen, but I hope that's going to happen. Well, the, the reality is this. None of us knows, but God does, and God has spoken. And he, ha he doesn't stutter. I've just read you many passages. I could read you more. God knows, and he's told us what will happen. And there are two groups of people in this life, the saved and the unsaved, and there's two groups in the life to come, the saved and the unsaved. There's purgatory universalists. What is a purgatory universalist? Well, that's someone that, see, because typically you'll say to a universalist, well, you don't believe in hell. Oh, yes, I believe in hell. It's just that those who go there will be purged of their sins and eventually be saved. Or those that go there will be purified in hell. So hell is a process by which God uses to save people. I believe in a hell. Well, not the hell of the Bible. Because once you are cast in, there is no second chances. Just think of Luke 16. The man, the rich man who is in hell, and he says, just bring one drop, just one drop to ease my suffering. And Abraham said, no, not even one drop. There is no second chance. There's evangelical universalists, which we'll talk about more in a moment. And what they say is, look, everybody's going to get saved eventually, but it's going to be by Jesus. Jesus is going to present and give them a second chance after death. They'll hear the gospel. Those who died without hearing it, they'll come before Jesus. He'll share the gospel, and everyone will get saved. And then the, the, my greatest concern, though, this morning is, number four, the silent universalist. Because I fear that some of us are in this category. I'm not thinking of specific people. I'm just saying that in a relativistic, postmodern, tolerant culture whose thinking is saturating our young people and our culture, our entertainment, I think there could be those of us, if you paid attention to the songs we sang this morning, Jesus is the only way. And I think we could sing those songs, mean it with all sincerity, and yet walk out of here and still say, I hope, I think, that people who never hear are still saved. You see, we would, a silent universalist would never say out loud <coughs> or even say the Bible teaches it. But we can't imagine anyone we love going to hell. But everyone loves someone. And if everybody will love someone and anybody we love won't go to hell, then who's going to be in hell? See, that's a silent universalist. It's amazing how many people become godly after they die. All you got to do is go to funerals. And as a pastor, I go to a lot. And the hardest thing about a funeral is not to preach someone into heaven. 
not to preach someone into godliness when everybody out there knows that they lived an ungodly life, they rejected the gospel. Now, the second way that some people answer this question is pluralism. 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 What does pluralism say? We live in a pluralistic society. This is very common. Pluralism says everyone, everywhere, will eventually be saved by many paths to many gods that represent the same divine reality. So everyone, everywhere is going to be saved. It's just through many paths to many gods that represent the same divine reality. Now, what does pluralism typically teach? They typically teach this. All religions are basically the same, and all religions are basically different. Does that sound illogical? You're right, it is. Okay, but that's really what they teach. All religions are basically the same. Here's what they say. The pluralist says that since all religions are basically the same, they're all right, or at least equally valid. But here's what you know. Anyone who has seriously studied world religions knows no, world re no one world religion is like the other. In fact, if you would talk to any sincere adherent of each religion, they would, none of them would say, oh, all religions are the same. They would say, my religion is different from your religion. And they would be right. And anyone who sincerely studies Christianity, Christianity is unique in its claims of a God-man who died and rose again. No other religion teaches that. And secondly, the pluralist says, well, all religions are different, and since they're different, no single one can be right or the only way. So the best thing to do is pick your way, and you pick your way, and if you say your way is the only way, well, that's hateful, that's bigoted, and really rather arrogant of you. And increasingly in our society, it would be considered hate speech, worthy of punishment, worthy of punishment. See, the pluralist likes to use the illustration, and maybe you've heard of it, of an elephant, and there's five blind men. And they, they encounter, these five blind men encounter the elephant, and one grabs the elephant's tail and says, it's a rope, it's a rope. And the other blind man hugs the, the, the leg of the elephant and says, no, it's a tree trunk, it's a tree trunk. And the other blind man touches the side and says, no, this is a wall. This is a wall. And the other blind man touches the trunk and says, I'm, I know this is a snake. And the pluralist will say, see, we are like the blind men. We are all spiritually blind, groping in the dark. And each of us grabs a facet of, of God that we think is right. But none of us got it right. Well, if you really take that illustration... Not only do we not have it right, we're totally wrong about everything. The tail is not a rope, and the leg is not a trunk. But let me throw something into that illustration. And let me say this, what if the elephant could talk? What if the elephant could talk? Hey, this is a rope. No, I am an elephant. Hey, I've got the tree trunk. No, that's my leg. I'm an elephant. What if the elephant could talk? And more so, what if the elephant had the power to make the blind to see? 
and the deaf to hear. You see, we have a God, and He has spoken, and He can give sight to blind eyes, and He can enable the deaf to hear, and He has spoken through the gospel. And when we share the gospel, we are deaf, we are blind, but God gives the ability to see and hear, and He says, I am God, the one true God, and Jesus is my Son. Embrace the gift. See, pluralism just doesn't work. Here's what the Bible teaches. There is one mediator between God and man. There is one mediator between one God. There are not many gods. There's one true God, and He has spoken. And there is not many ways to God. There is one mediator between God and man. Let me read just one passage. 1 Timothy 2, 3-7. through 7. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why does He desire men to be saved? Why does He want to see them saved? For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. This is the God. I could read you John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except by me. I could read you Acts 4, 12, and I guess I am. There is a salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And on and on goes the witness of God in Scripture. Pluralism is not only illogical, it is unbiblical if Jesus speaks truth. And if the Bible is God speaking without error. Well, there's a third way some people answer this question. What about those who have never heard? And it's inclusivism. Inclusivism. Uh, inclusive, you know, inclusive, you see in the word inclusivism, inclusion. It includes everyone. We live in an inclusive society that wants no one to be excluded, but everyone to be included. And inclusivism says everyone, everywhere, will eventually be saved by Jesus. This is evangelical universalism. They will be saved by Jesus even if they follow other religions. Please note that. Even if they never hear the gospel message, and even if they die without receiving Christ. You see, inclusivism says Christ's salvation will include everyone, everywhere, in the end, even if they have to be saved by Jesus after death. Now, perhaps the best way to show what inclusivism, pluralism, and universalism, and how at the root... They are all merely universalism, is to show you the comparison. Notice, universalism says everyone, everywhere will be saved eventually. Well, pluralism is universalism with diversity added. It's, plural, it's pluralism is universalism with diversity. There are many ways for everyone, everywhere to be saved. Now, inclusivism is simply universalism with Christ added in. 
Because the, the inclusivist says there are many ways for everyone everywhere to be saved by Christ eventually. Are you, do you see how that works? Inclusivism is universalism plus pluralism plus Jesus as the one who saves. Does God reveal himself exclusively through the gospel of Jesus Christ or does he manifest himself in other ways? Are all peoples of other faiths eternally lost unless they hear the gospel and trust in Jesus? Must people hear the gospel and respond to it in faith to be saved? Or does God progressively lead them to Jesus through Buddha? Or through Muhammad? Or through Near Eastern mysticism? In other words, as long as you're sincere in following the light you have, after you die, Jesus will say, it was me all along. And they'll say, oh, I didn't realize that. And fall down, repent, and place their faith. In Jesus. But what does the Bible teach? Number one, there is no second chance. There is no second chance after death. You can't get around Hebrews 9.27. For it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. And I've heard universalists and inclusiveness, inclusivists say, well, judgment, we don't know. We don't know. Yeah, it says that, but we don't know. Remember, hopeful universalism? But the reality is we do know. Read the end of the book. In Revelation 20, it tells us what that judgment is like. And it says, those whose names are not written in the book of life, and there will be many of them, will be cast into eternal fire forever, conscious suffering and torment. You see, inclusivism makes the gospel message unnecessary. Why share with someone the gospel if they're going to get saved eventually in any religion that they're in? It makes the gospel mediator unnecessary, and it, quite frankly, dishonors Jesus Christ. Here is Jesus Christ, the God-man, the sinless man, the one who made claims and backed them up like no other religious leader. Buddha did not claim to be God. Muhammad did not claim to be God. Jesus did, and he backed it up. And yet we're going to say, all these other, follow these other men, and eventually Jesus will short it out, sort it out. It makes the Great Commission unnecessary. Why would our missionaries, 34 of our missionaries, sacrifice time, labor, and separate themselves from family, and live in another culture, master another language, if in the end all these people are going to eventually get it right after death? It makes the gospel means unnecessary because it comes down to this. Turn in your Bibles, and I want you to turn to this one. Romans 10. Romans 10. Look at Romans 10, and let's look at verses 12 through 16. And I want you to see what it says. And it's what Zach read, but I want you to see it. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. See, everyone, everywhere. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, abounding in riches. And that always means riches of mercy, compassion, and forgiveness for all who call on Him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then comes the critical question. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? 
How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And then it says this, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the message or the word about Christ. So that leaves us with just one answer. And it's called exclusivism. Now that's the academic, that's the technical, that's the, the philosophical name of it. You could just as easily write in there gospel. Because this is the biblical answer. This is the answer that the gospel gives. That some, in fact many, from everyone, everywhere, will be saved by Jesus through hearing the gospel and responding to Him with repentance and faith before death. Now, in closing, I just want to say this. When you think about what we've covered in a short time this morning, the gospel is God's exclusive, there is no other way, exclusive way to be saved. But the good news is this, the gospel is truly universal. Why? There's only one universal way for everyone everywhere. It is universal. It's universal in saying everyone needs to hear and everyone needs to repent. Okay, number two, the gospel is truly inclusive because the gospel promises, God promises, that some from every people group, every people group, every tribe, every language, every nation, there will not be one people group left out. The gospel is truly, though, exclusive. Only those who hear it, only those who hear it and respond in faith. And let me say this, the gospel is truly particular. Each person must hear. Each person must hear for themselves and respond for themselves. Well, what will that look like? What will that look like? I want you to take a moment. I want you to watch this short video. This is from a, a, a true, it's a local church, and these are all members of one church, and they're reading to us Ephesians 5. This is what it's going to look like in heaven. Take a look. Man, it's going to be loud, and there's going to be languages, and I truly believe, based on the book of Acts, chapter 2, we're going to speak in our own language, and yet we're all going to understand. Is that just awesome? But it doesn't happen unless people go, okay? And you won't be there unless you respond. So let me ask you, have you responded to the gospel that you have heard? Have you placed your faith and come to a place where you say, I'm not good enough, God. Nothing I do is worthy or deserving of you letting me enter heaven. I could never earn my way to you. I, I abandon that. I repent of that. I turn from the false gods, the false idols, the sins, my pet sins, my secret sins. And I come with empty hands of faith to receive you, Jesus, the one mediator. I beg you this morning, if you haven't made that choice, you can do it right now. Right now, just call out to Him. Jesus, you're my Savior. You're my Savior. And if you do that, fill out the connection card and let us know. Let me know before you leave. But many of us here, you have responded. And if we truly believe 
that the gospel is the exclusive way for everyone everywhere and those who never hear will enter a Christless eternity, then let me encourage you to take this card that's in your bulletin. Take this card that's in your bulletin and look at it. And notice what it says. Out of a heart of love and in the context of a caring relationship, I will pray and step out with an obedient faith to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with, and you put a name in there. You put a name of a co-worker, of a family member. And I would encourage you, someone that you have contact with, someone in your circle of influence. And, you know, believe me, you can fill the whole back of the card. We're not limiting you to one. But let's be honest, for some of us, we can't think of someone that we know in a caring relationship because we don't reach out to lost people like that. And so maybe you don't have a name today. You put a question mark and you say, God, you show me. And I challenge you, if you will ask God to show you and you start praying that today, He'll probably show you tomorrow. And every time I have ever done this, Lord, show me. Give me the opportunity to speak forth your saving message. He always brings people in my path. See, the issue is not God. He desires all men to be saved. But He has chosen in His sovereignty and His wisdom to use people like you and me. And so we can have the doctrine right here, but we don't have the heart. Now is the time to weep for the loss. Amen? I had the privilege, and I'll close with this, I had the privilege of going to an ordination here recently of a young man and you get asked questions about your doctrine, and the doctrine was about hell and heaven. And he shared what he believed about hell, and he shared some of these verses that I've shared with you. And then the, the moderator of the ordination said, now let me ask you about heaven. And he said, wait a minute. And he had to compose himself. And he said, hell is a terrible place. And I sat there and I thought, there's a man that not only has it in his head, but he has it in his heart. God help us to be head and heart Christians. Amen? So with your heads bowed and with your card in hand, just signing a card doesn't make you more spiritual. Just signing the card doesn't make it happen, but it is some accountability. And so I would challenge, especially those of you that are members of LifeBridge, but really all of you, we're going to have a response time, and in this time, I would ask you to do one of two things. Call out to Jesus, if you've never done so, and cross from unbelief to belief. Cross from darkness to light. And if you need help with that, come and talk to me. Write that on your connection card. We would love to help you be a believer in Jesus Christ. But also, as the musicians play, if you know him, let's, at the beginning here of 2018, let's get serious about getting the good news to all the nations who we see in the grocery stores. We see, don't politicize immigration. Gospelize it. Don't politicize it. Welcome the stranger. Welcome the foreigner. Welcome the immigrant into some gospel truth and some gospel love. Father, I pray... Do what only you can in the hearts of us at this time. To God be the glory. Let's respond to him.